The problem is that she may have ended up in a situation where she is more likely to be traumatized than her peers because of her ADHD. And that is not saying that, you know, your skirt was too short. You brought this up on your own. It's never the case. But the case is that ADHD is a significant risk factor for teenage girls to become victimized and to become traumatized. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, before we get started, I would love to share with you this review from a listener named Deanna. It's entitled Tears. I just finished listening to your interview with Linda Yee. It made me very emotional. What an amazing story. Thank you, Katie, for introducing me to such great women and helping me to accept myself more and more with each interview. At almost 63, that says a lot. You have changed my life. Maybe I'll actually get an official diagnosis. Keep doing the wonderful work you are doing. Well, thank you, Deanna. I really appreciate your feedback, and I love knowing that this podcast has helped in such a tremendous way. And if anyone's out there listening to this podcast and you found it helpful, this is a friendly reminder to head over to Apple Podcasts or Audible, and you can now leave feedback on individual episodes on Spotify. And if that feels like too much, and I totally get it, you could also just quickly hit those five stars. It makes a real difference. In fact, before you forget, why don't you just pause right now and do it, and I promise we'll wait for you. Okay, here we are at episode 170, in which I interview Lota Borg-Skoglund. Lota is a senior physician and associate professor in psychiatry at Uppsala University in Sweden. Lota's work centers on ADHD and women, especially around how hormones impact the mental health of girls and women. She has authored several books on the subject, including ADHD Girls to Women, Getting on the Radar, which was released in English in 2023. Lota not only has years of experience in healthcare, working in both primary care and specialized psychiatry, but her list of academic accomplishments is a mile long. And she helped to create the Goddess ADHD Research Group, which stands for Gender-Informed Research to Overcome Diagnostic Delay and Emotional Dysregulation Through Self-Awareness and Self-Efficacy in Female ADHD. Lota is also one of the founders of Letter Life, a science and evidence-based app that provides girls and women with ADHD insight and power over how their everyday life is affected by hormones, ADHD symptoms, and other lifestyle factors. Lota and I talk all about the profound lack of research around women, hormones, and ADHD, as well as some of the incredible work she's doing to even the playing field. We also talk about the biological differences between the male and female brains and why that contributes to the lack of diagnoses for girls. And we discuss how girls and women alike are being abandoned by the medical system even after their diagnoses. 
Now, before I get to this interview, I wanted to add that the English copy of Lotus book, which is fantastic, by the way, was published by Jessica Kingsley Publishers in the UK. They publish so many tremendous neurodivergent authors. Go take a look at their selection of books. It's amazing. You're going to want to get your hands on all of them. So that said, we have an exclusive discount for women and ADHD listeners. If you use the code WAPOD20, you'll get 20% off the book when you purchase it directly from the publisher at jkp.com. And of course, that link is in the show notes. Okay, without further ado, here is my interview with Lota. Somebody needs to pinch me. You know, there's some days where I feel like I can't believe this is my job. I can't believe this is my job that I get to interview incredible women like the guest I have today. Welcome, Lota. This is just incredible. I Okay, so a little bit of background story, and then I'll stop rambling. So one of my former clients, Annette, she's out there, she's listening. Hi, Annette. She's amazing. And she's from Denmark. And she wrote me and she said, you have to read Lota's book. You have to interview her. She is the shit in Sweden and Denmark when it comes to women and ADHD. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, how am I going to get this esteemed you know, researcher and, and medical clinician How am I going to convince her to get on my podcast? And literally the next day, I received an email from your publisher, and it was like all the stars aligned. Oh, my goodness. I was so excited. So where do we start? I mean, I guess we could start. You were were diagnosed with ADHD in adolescence. Late adolescence, I'd say. Late adolescence. So in high school? A young adult, um, yeah. Oh, okay. What were some of the things that you put together, you know, put two and two together to think this could be ADHD or I should look into this? Well... It wasn't really that much knowledge back then, right? And and especially not around uh, girls. So I would say, I would say I couldn't get the picture uh, to fit with kind of my life. That was pretty awesome. And then I just could not get it to to work for me. And I I was so interested in things, and I was I was so excited about so much. And then when I started to dig into it and to learn about it, it was like my brain totally just shut down. And I thought that was really scary and, I, and that I couldn't really trust my brain. And I, I wasn't really, I couldn't really trust my instincts in a way. Because who am I if I, if I find this so interesting that I engage in it? And then when I do, it is like I am just zooming out and, and my brain is all over the place and, and thinking about other stuff. And I kept, you know, putting it on like a later account. So I will read this. I will do this later. And then it kind of kept piling up to a point where I kind of broke down and I quit. And then I started something else. So I think that was kind of a revelation. And, and I've been I've been asking around, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm from a family where like my father's a psychiatrist. Uh, there is you're either a veterinarian or or a a psychiatrist in my family. So there wasn't any really lack of knowledge. And I thought, you know, my parents really, I had a really safe upbringing. Everything was kind of good and, and I couldn't get my shit together. And I thought that was really, really both annoying and, and worrying for, for the rest of my life. So I, I started feeling very, I'm a bit afraid of, of how, how am I going to manage life on my own, basically. And then I met a person who said, well, could this be ADHD? I was like, no, of course not, because I didn't know anything. And I was, tra- I was also training to be a psychiatrist at that, you know, same point when, when this was. So this was after med school. Yeah, this was after med school. But I was, and I was training to be a psychiatrist. So and still I haven't heard about it. So that is, is um, kind of something that makes me really humble when I meet 
other women who are diagnosed later in life, realizing that me and my colleagues, we were not trained to uh, acknowledge and to find and to search for this and to look for this and to ask for this in girls and or in females and in adults, um, basically. So so that was a long, long story of uh, a a journey that ended with with the diagnosis. And then what I see in so many, many women that I meet also, a couple of years after that, where I I kept kind of gaslighting myself and saying, well, I fooled them. It's probably just because, you know, I didn't tell them this. And, and I, I can do a lot of stuff, right? So so I spend a lot of, of time after my diagnosis also wasting that time instead of starting, you know, get shit done. So, so that is also something that I try to communicate uh, really clearly. It's like, okay, yeah, you may have fooled me. I don't think so. I'm a pretty, you know, I'm a pretty experienced psychiatrist and ADHD doctor at this point and also a, a researcher. So I know a lot of, of, of things and I'm spe- I specialize in, in, in female ADHD. So yeah, you might have fooled me, but the odds are, you know, uh, not in your favor in that. So, so start, you know, start working as if you had ADHD, if you have ADHD, and then we'll see. If you fooled me and there's something else and it's not ADHD, well, you know, we haven't wasted that much time because ADHD accommodations and ADHD kind of setting up your ADHD life, that is much like for people with diabetes. It's like if you keep this diet for your diabetes, that's good for everyone. Everyone could use this recommendation, these diets. Like so, so it's it's. I think it's um, it can say uh, a lot uh, about the same thing about ADHD. Yeah, well, I think also comparing it to the the diet and diabetes is interesting because one of the things I think about ADHD, and and again, one of the questions we talk about a lot on this podcast is is this socialized, right? Which is like in women, I feel like we have to have tried everything. We have to be at our wits end before we ask for help, right? So accommodations, we have to show how much we are struggling and how much we have tried to do this on our own before we even ask for help. And that's like, that feels like a very uniquely female (laughs) perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So now what I've read a lot of books on ADHD at this point, and I feel like one of the things I loved, I just absolutely love your book. So thank you so much. I'm, you know, one of my questions, I actually reached out to Annette and I said, are there any questions you want to make sure I ask Lota? And she said, when are your other ADHD books going to be released in English? Because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I want to read them all now. Uh, do you have plans? I am so happy to hear that. And thank you, Annette, if you're listening. <laughs> for this, Because, you know, I have to pinch myself equally hard as you, because I have been, uh, you know, I've been emailing my publisher like, uh, she's so tired of me. It's like, are you sure I can't get on any podcast? I want to tie I'm so proud of this book. It's like a dream come true. And it's it's so close to my heart, of course. So I've been right. I write about my patients and I put their stories, like the, the all these women that I've met during the years. And to be able to tell their story and to to realize that it's not only relevant for, for in a Swedish context, in a Scandinavian and Danish context, but it, it seems to be also relevant. So this is kind of a universal language that we're talking here. And so, and that, I think that's, that's so beautiful and so uh, empowering um, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. So that leads to my question about the biological differences, because I don't feel like a lot, you know, one of the, I'm always like, what are we talking about when we're talking about ADHD? I get very confused about, are we talking about behavioral symptoms? Are we talking about a brain? How, how, what is genetic? What is socialized? Nobody seems to know what is hormonal. And I 
really appreciate how much you delve into the biological differences of the brain and the you know frontal cortex and the cerebellum. So if you're out there and you really love to geek out about this, this is absolutely the book for you. Tell me more about what are some of the biological difference between a girl's brain and a boy's brain when it comes to some of the different presentations of ADHD and in the context of why girls are so commonly overlooked. Yeah. So so I I think what I what I'm trying to to communicate in this book is that it's biology and social expectations, right? But that biology counts and that if we keep like using the the male brain and the male body as the norm, we we will fail to to recognize the girls and and the women, right? The the obvious thing is that girls and boys have males and females when we look from, from a hormonal perspective, we are like two subspecies of the same animal species, right? So for girls and for females, starting a couple of years before puberty, when our like the sex hormones, the estrogen and progesterone starts increasing, and knowing that our brains are scattered, there are like hormone receptors all over the place. So from like embryogenesis, then actually having a little bit of a pause during like childhood where the, where we are like toddlers because then then um, the the biological uh, differences are not that marked because th- then we don't produce a, a lot of, of sex hormones but a couple of years before puberty we will start producing our main sex hormones so for for girls it will be estrogen and progesterone and for boys it will be testosterone and they tend to affect the brain in a very different way. And looking at the research then, and uh, looking at the female lifespan, we can see kind of perfect overlaps of where we as females have vulnerable periods in our lives. So looking at when the comorbidity hits us, for example. So like during these pre-puberty, pubertal years, there's a lot of females with ADD and ADHD that will tell us that, you know, they get just, you know, they can't regulate their energy anymore. So they get so tired and they start getting anxious about that. And it's they start, you know, trying to deal with uh, that energy loss with food or, or trying to do other stuff that, you know, keeps kicking the comorbidity circus and have that going, right? So, and then you see that in every menstrual cycle, uh, after ovulation, where estrogen levels kind of tampers down and, and um, falls back and progesterone levels starts rising. We also have this periods where women report that we are vulnerable in relation to stress, in relation to depression, anxiety, even like serious psychiatric disorders or, or symptoms like psychotic symptoms or manic symptoms in, in bipolar disorders and also relapse into eating disorders and, and addiction very like overlapping very viciously with our premenstrual uh, phase so so between ovulation and the next period and then we have pregnancy and postpartum and the postpartum period very vulnerable for for females and then we have equally like prolonged period before menopause so like up to 10 years around menopause where the hormonal levels and the estrogen levels starts fluctuating again so I think talking about biology is super important when it comes to ADHD. We are far from understanding exactly how 
these hormonal fluctuations affect our brain. And it's also, it seems to be very individual. So it's not like we can build a firm theoretical framework today and say, okay, so all women with ADHD react like this. But on a group level, it seems like we have these vulnerable periods. And on top of this, we have to put the social expectations and what we as a like a social structure or social creatures think about how a typical girl or a typical boy should behave. So it seems like when we look at our brains on a group level, it seems like girl brains on a group level prioritize processes that stimulates enhance our abilities to function socially, to be able to to perceive what other people expect of us. Whereas it seems like for boys, their brains on a group level, that's super important. It's always much more difference between two individuals than two groups, of course. But on a group level, it seems like typical boys, if you are allowed to say that, but group boys on the group level anyway, they prioritize other part of the brain's abilities, like, for example, coordinating hand, foot, and visual and uh, motor skills, for example. We assume that since, since uh, the biology has been prioritizing differently for, for girls and for boys, we have also learned to expect that from boys and girls. When girls fall out of that kind of framework, we don't know what to do. And uh, it's also because of, of girls being more like socially aware earlier on in life, like more socially advanced earlier on in life, ADHD, ADD girls, they know what other people or adults expect from them. So they start finding strategies, they start masking, they start putting more and more and more energy into just being normal as they say, and, and yeah, right? The Albert Camus quote. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's actually how this book started because I started, I started thinking because you always think that you're, you're, you yourself is you're so unique, right? But then, then I started thinking, it's like all the women that I meet that eventually get an ADHD diagnosis, they say something that is always on the theme is like, I've always known that I'm different, but I don't know exactly why. And or I've always known that I'm not normal, but I've tried to explain that to people. And they say, well, I always I also think that it's difficult to and I also feel very exhausted in social. You know, I'm not a person who likes cocktail parties either. It's like, but it's not that it's like they are trying to normalize something in me that I'm really, really, you know, I'm searching for the answer of why I am, you know, different. So, so I think that's that's some something that starts very early on for for girls with with ADHD. Well, and there was something you said about your upbringing too that I resonated with because I was, you know, often from university on was was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and then again postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and there was always that feeling of it not fitting, but also feeling like, well, I have a great life. I have a supportive partner. I have children. I had a wonderful upbringing. Why do I insist on being depressed? Right. It was like, I couldn't even get that right. <laughs> and, and so it is, it's that, it's that feeling of just offness that is so difficult to articulate. And I think that's also, you know, for, for me, as I said, coming from a, uh, in a family of psychiatrists, 
then if you feel that something is off, you're sent to a psychologist, then you're sent into therapy, right? What I was experiencing in therapy, because I also, I I was searching. So I, I also thought that I needed therapy. But what I kind of, I pushed back on very early on in therapy was when a therapist started to try to build a story around why I was struggling. So it was always like, well, you probably, your, your parents probably haven't affirmed you or, or I was always told that I was this uh, person who needed affirmation and, and that I needed to be this good girl and I needed to be like, why do you ha- always have to be, everything has to be perfect. So, so they assumed that there was some kind of trauma in me and, and I never, I could never relate to that because no, on, on the contrary. So, so I... I actually, I feel uh, like I think that there are a lot of of girls and women with ADHD who can actually be traumatized by having that kind of explanatory model told to them. So, so this is why this is so difficult for you. This is why you're struggling. And I never felt that that was a, an appropriate explanation. And that was also very important for me when I got the diagnosis and I realized, well, okay, so, so this is a, a perfectly this is a different battle for me. This is still a battle. I, there's a lot of things that I have to do differently and I have to take care of myself in a totally different way than my my friends. But I don't have to, you know, blame my parents. I don't have to quit uh, or or get out of a lot of relationships. So So I thought that, you know, a lot of things got explained in the wrong way. So now I know that it's not other people's fault that I, you know, can feel socially anxious in 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 situation or I get really, really socially exhausted by by things. I, I, I just know that that is my ADHD brain and I don't blame others. And I think that has been a huge advantage for me because otherwise you tend to get very either defensive or disappointed in life, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love the, you know, the whole conversation around this orchid or dandelion, right? This <laughs> this genetic element of a brain that is reacts more adversely to types of trauma like neglect mm-hmm. or abuse. Right. And I mean, right. I have mm-hmm. I have, I don't think I've met a woman who hasn't experienced some form of sexual trauma and sexual, you know, sexualization from a young age. So a lot of that is a traumatic experience. And I think there's probably some connection there with the overlap of ADHD and autism and gender nonconforming, gender dysphoria. Like, I think that's such a fascinating topic too, right? So it's like, how do you begin to parse? How do you begin to even unravel the brain's reaction to those small T traumas? Like you said, a life undiagnosed or a life of experiencing these senses of like fundamental rejection that many women experience in terms of their worth and and their value in the room. So that's where I get really confused about what are we talking about? (laughs) Yeah, but I think, you know what I think? I think it's really good to admit that you're confused because I think it's when we force this, you know, we we try to, to simplify these associations, I think we go wrong. We risk going wrong there. So I think it's really brave of you. And I think also the older I get and the more kind of diplomas and, and titles I get, the more kind of brave also I get to, to admit how little we know. We know. And, and I think I was much, you know, more scared years back to admit that 
it, it took me when I when I wrote my PhD. It took me four years after my dissertation to understand what my thesis was about. <laughs> I never admitted that to anyone, of course. <laughs> and I did. I did. I passed. But when you when you try to be bigger than you are and try to to find explanations that are not really like right yet, they're not. You know, they need some more information to to be sustainable. So so I think that's really really healthy and i think we should do that much more and i think we have to to also maybe that's it, it isn't that's a good adhd trait that you don't tolerate uncertainty or that the puzzle is not laid uh, yet or but we have to i think we have to to live with that and to learn to live with that actually that's that's funny that you said and and it's funny that you told me about the net because i went to copenhagen she was there. She heard you. Yeah. Oh, she was there. <laughs> then she knows. Then she knows that I was there, and I talked for two days. I had no idea when before how this would go. I had done. I've never done it before, and I was supposed to talk about female ADHD hormones, and the take-home message is that hormones matter, but we don't really know exactly how. And then I have to give a two-day talk on. <laughs> on a topic where I have, basically have to say, you know, the jury is out still. <laughs> uh, and we had so much fun and we learned so much from each other. And it was like such a giving and rewarding experience. So if we can admit that and we can start pulling out the different, you know, stories and testimonies and and see where do we all like fit this together? I think we can uh, do really, really good things together. But there are still a lot of pieces in the puzzle that is missing. And that's a shame because we haven't focused on girls and women historically uh, in the research. But I think we're going, uh, we're getting there and we are filling in the, the blanks one by one. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. You know, I've gone back to school to become a mental health counselor. And so I've, I'm finding that even in the curriculum, like every case study, client presents with depression, anxiety. And I'm like, it's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere I'm diagnosing clients with ADHD. And that makes sense because so many of us end up with these comorbid diagnoses. Um, but it's, you know, if I was in my 20s, I probably would have been like, huh, that's interesting. I don't know if I've got this right. But I feel like now that I'm more experienced, I, I come at these with like, oh, I have a lot to offer this field because nobody is talking about this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing to me that it's it's not at all, you know, that neurodivergence just isn't part of the curriculum. So you had also mentioned in the book the difference between the DSM and the ICD, the International Classification of Diseases, and, and how it feels like the DSM is more amenable to the di diagnosis for women versus the ICD. What's the difference there? Can you talk more about that? So first of all, I think from a Scandinavian perspective, it's been that we have, we entered the DSM-5 in 2013-14, and we still haven't really implemented uh, ICD-11. So we are living with an old version of, of so in, and in the DSM-5 from the DSM-4, it was intentionally relaxed on the diagnostic criteria to better fit adults 
and and also uh, like other displays of of um, of ADHD than the typical like boy norm. So so I think that is is one of the things that has affected and um, that the DSM five has very intentionally intentionally actually relaxed the the diagnostic criteria to open up for for um other symptom displays but there's still a lot of of things uh, and I know because I I read in the in the email we were, that you were thinking about also the emotional dysregulation why is that not even uh, like taken up as examples of uh impulsivity and hyperactivity in a way where for females specifically in my opinion, that is the thing that is the most impairing for females, and it gets worse with age. So a lot of things when uh, living with ADHD, knowing about your ADHD, a lot of things gets better. And, and a lot of things gets better with time, but the emotional dysregulation tends to be this scar um, that you have experienced a lot of things due to your difficulties in regulating emotions that will affect how you approach the world, basically. And so many women with ADHD end up lonely and feeling lonely and feeling uh, failure in their relationships. And again, we have different expectations of girls and women, boys. We will uh, not raise our eyebrows that much of a boy who is just, you know, super focused on his things and don't really tend to the other social activities there. So we say, oh, this is a, uh, like a, a little uh, nerd and he'll he'll get around. Like, but for a girl, it's like, whoa, this is really very, you know, this is something, you know, off with her. And, and also for us as adult women, how much of the social kind of interplay that is expected of us and our like dudes they just tag along it's like oh there's dinner at that place there's dinner at that place did you get you know the christmas gifts for blah blah and if you fail uh, that as a woman it's much more like you put on yourself and also um what other people kind of tend to think it is easier it seems and to for 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 society to kind of like shake off off if if a a dad forgets the 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 kid's gym bag it's like ah oh, dads will be dads right but if if i as a mom forgets to like bake for the school sale or 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 don't have like the snacks at home that it's like i'm a ve- i'm a really shitty mom and and it's it's like there's something wrong with this family right so, so there's such a a, a totally different uh, social expectations uh, expectation on girls from from start and and then uh, on us as women and and that is of course mirrored in why the diagnostic criteria feels so off sometimes for us and for why I think it it can become problematic for a unexperienced clinician to recognize ADHD. If you just look at the diagnostic uh, criteria of the and 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 then, but from from the DSM five, we have had a little bit of a relaxation that is making it a little bit easier and uh, anyway for for the clinicians to to uh, involve like like female specific symptoms. But it's 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 far from from like adapted or or sufficient. I would say. 
Right. Yeah. Now, I noticed you've been saying ADHD, ADD. Is that something you intentionally do to, to be more inclusive? Because mm-hmm. I, I know, like, I certainly never thought I had ADHD because of the name. Many women, I'm sure the hyperactivity element, they don't relate to. And I've often wondered why, when the three presentations were rolled under the ADHD umbrella, what was behind that choice? Because it feels like uh, it's a disservice to women and girls to have those presentations all listed under ADHD. Do you know what the history is there? Yeah, yes, I know. Yeah, so so why why I say it it uh, why I say also ADD is because I I I usually I get reminded after having like a course in two days and 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 then someone says like I just have a question Are you going to talk at all about ADD? It's like oh my god I thought I <laughs> ah it's not so bad in the beginning that I do not make any difference between those because. We, uh, I think, as an as a neuroscientist and as a clinician, uh, I don't think it it really has any true bearing. It it has for for the person um, and to to be able to to explain your difficulties. I think, and and that I have that I have seen, uh, uh, you know, on a lot of my my patients, and they, it's really important for them. So like, no, 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 I have ADD. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So uh, it has a value. It has a meaning. But for me as a clinician, it's the same assessment. Uh, I What I see is like you can have ADD symptoms in a part of your life and then you have more of an ADHD symptomatology. And for, for, for females, I would say, they have kind of a hockey stick situation where you typically you see the boys having a lot of hyperactivity that is, you know, obvious for, for the, they, they can maybe disruptive and be you know, all over the place. And then some, sometimes during puberty or, or like in, in the early teens, the hyperactivity tends to kind of go away, but the inattention symptomatology is is kind of stable for for the boys. So it seems like then this boy or this teenage boy has grown out of his ADHD, right? Because the hyperactivity, impulsivity is not as visible for the the, the people around. It's not, and we know that the this the inattention symptoms that is associated to the adverse outcomes. So uh, we have wrongfully assumed that the boy will grow out of his ADHD because of the hyperactivity kind of uh, being less uh, prominent, right? But the girls, they tend to do like a different uh, trajectory where they fly under our radar when they are um, small girls, they are masking, they're conforming, they are adapting, they're trying to fit in, they're struggling, they're struggling, they're struggling, they're super stressed and they say they're like overwhelmed and and they, but they look like "Mm, white knuckle and they are making it and and people tend to say, yeah, you're really good and but you just have to try a little bit harder, you know, you should just, if you just listen a little bit less and and they, they, you know, they absorb that and they try and they try, but then, and then we miss miss them, they fly under our radar, outside our radar and then they enter puberty and the hormones kick in. Approximately the same time as the boys starts, you know, behaving a little bit better, the girls starts to, you know, be more extroverted. And then they they start, you know, having more of the hyperactivity, impulsivity symptoms. You were talking about uh, trauma and, and one of our, like, biggest concerns here are the small girls that we have missed that have developed a very low self-esteem entering puberty realizing that sexual capital is a currency where I can get some kind of uh, affirmation and I can get some kind of acceptance and I can be like, I'm trying to fit in, I'm trying to be loved by someone, right? And then on, they are on our radar, they are in our face. 
because they start, you know, uh, behaving in a way when they take risks, right? And it's also uh, coexisting with the the first time where you, where you try alcohol or or perhaps even stronger drugs, maybe the, for the first time in your life, right? So you may end up in so 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 dangerous and harmful situation. So due to your ADHD, you end up in situation where you you risk being victimized, traumatized. And then we fail them again because then we find their symptoms and we say, this poor girl, she's acting out or she's depressed or she's having like these nightmares because she's been traumatized. And we miss her ADHD again because we kind of look at the trauma. And the problem here and the problematic and the difficult thing to communicate to both the, the girls, their parents and to healthcare professionals is that Yes, she has been traumatized. Yes, she may have a lot of symptoms due to trauma. But the problem is that she may have ended up in a situation where she is more likely to be traumatized than her peers because of her ADHD. And that is not saying that, you know, your skirt was too short. You brought this up on your own. It's never the case. But the case is that ADHD is a significant risk factor for teenage girls to become victimized and to become traumatized. And that is such an important uh, topic and, and, and something that I, you know, I'm, I feel so passionate um, about finding these girls before they become teenage uh, women with uh, ADHD and, and ending up in situation that may, might scar them for life, actually. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The Lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one -on -one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy to access, self-guided and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. 
I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. I remember very early on feeling so frustrated by a lot of the therapeutic treatment where there was just that lack of curiosity. It was so solution focused. It was so like you have depression and anxiety as though you caught it in the air um, without tracing like where, keep going, keep going. (laughs) Why are like keep uncovering and, you know, being so quick to figure out, okay, well, you know, change your behaviors or, or medicate or something, but, you know, not getting to the root of like the essence of these behaviors. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh. Yeah. And I, and I think it's so important for me. I think it's so important for me. And I can also almost see when you work with people, how like their shoulders just feel like, oh, okay. So this is how it's all tied together. And I think it's so, I think it's like knowledge. I, I always like, I, this is my mantra, like knowledge is power. So knowledge about how your brain works, knowledge about your ADHD, your unique neurodiverse brain. And that's why I'm gagging all about this ADHD 24-7 model, because I think we need kind of a framework to put our unique ADHD profile into to be able to start working with this. Otherwise, if we simplify it, then we're just telling people to go blindfolded into like the war of life. It's like you need to know why you have to struggle a little bit harder with this than others. Otherwise, I think it's almost re-traumatizing to say to people, just do this. It's like asking a kid to to eat uh, things or to, to, to wear things that is like you have this perceptual sensitivity. It's like you wouldn't do that to a child um, and, and you, you shouldn't do that to an adult person or adult woman either to ask of them to try to treat their depressive symptoms and try to, to fight their social anxiety without giving them a, a theoretical rationale of why this is so much harder for me than for others. Otherwise, it's like setting you up for failure, I think. And, and what you need when you have failed so much in your life previously, I think you need to feel at every step of the way you are. So, but you, you want to, you know, tap yourself on the back saying, you go, girl. That's great. You, you aced that cocktail party. It's like, yeah, everyone else thinks that's it's awesome, you know, to go to a cocktail party. Says, yeah, yeah, I was invited. No, not for me. It's like, okay, I'm going to go there. I know it's worth it. I, I love the people who's there and I love the the guy or the girl hosting it. I am going to go there. I'm going to be exhausted for two days afterwards. It's like, oh, all this, you know, people talking and what am I missing? And did I say something stupid now? It's like, I need to bring that with me to the cocktail party. Otherwise, I'm, I'm twice, you know, it's a double whammy. It's I'm, I'm twice the, the loser there. So I'm there and people expect of me to enjoy it. I don't really, but I don't want to miss it. So I think, I think it's, a, it's so important that we get, as, as you were saying, it's like we need the explanation. We need to know why certain things in life is an up, uh, uphill str- struggle and why we still have to struggle uphill because we have to do it because a lot of the things are important for us or for our loved ones. And a lot of things I need to do to live a healthy, a long life. And it doesn't come natural to me, but it, it's much easier to do it if I know that, okay, I put twice as much energy into this simple thing. 
than the other guy or the other girl there. And I should feel very proud of myself for doing this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also, you know, not only the the psychoeducation, but also just figuring out the tools for your coping strategies, the toolbox that never worked for you before, right? Other people would give you this advice and it never to work for you. And so the, 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 the assumption was, well, the, the, it's my problem. I'm the problem. Right. And it's like, there's, you know, thinking about getting through the cocktail party. It reminded me of, of when I had an MRI for the first time and I came out of it and I was like, why does nobody talk about how crazy that experience is? And I realized because nobody told me how long this was going to take. So I was in this as perfectly still it's a nightmare for somebody with ADHD. Perfectly still. I had no idea how long this was going to happen. I had no idea how long I was going to be in there for. And so I just had to get to this like disassociation where I was like, I live here now, I guess. Like, I, like That's an awesome. Ex- that's an awesome example of metacognitive, you know, breaks out. <laughs> but you think about how many times that is the, that no explanation is given. It's just like, you know, menopause, the, the, the way of dealing with menopause is grit your teeth and get through it. It's over eventually. Right. And so many things happen to women, new motherhood. Oh, it's fine. You'll just get, you know, eventually you'll get through it. Just, you know, grit your teeth. <laughs> no, but it's natural. It's natural. No, it's so much fun. I need to tell you, when 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 my male colleagues, uh, they start, you know, doing all this evolutionary natural thing, you know, and they start explaining all these things with a natural. So, so I, I, we, we, I used to say, okay, so if we're going to talk about natural then, uh, the normal or natural thing for a female on the savannah, because they always like to talk about on the Stone Age, you know, when we were like hunters or gatherers. Okay, fine. Let's talk about when we were hunters and gatherers. The natural thing for a woman would be to get pregnant when, when, when they were like 12, 13, 14, perhaps. The natural thing would be like to have 10, 15 pregnancies, perhaps. Maybe six, eight of those kids survived. And then the natural thing would be like to die giving birth because that's kind of the most dangerous thing that you do. So being born or or, or or giving birth is the most dangerous thing a woman can do. And then, so so want to talk about what's natural. And I think that's so typical. And I and say that, you know, I'm a neuroscientist. I'm a doctor. Uh, I'm a researcher. I'm a woman. I have three teenage daughters. I have a mother. I have a mother-in-law who's a psychiatrist. I was totally unprepared for for menopause for for uh, perimenopause totally i had no idea what to do it's like no one told me uh about the postpartum situation no it's like it's, it's, as you say it's like well that's natural that's something that women just do and then you and then you think well it's it is perhaps it is something that you know neurotypical females can struggle through it's difficult it's tough for a lot of you know women regardless of your neurocognitive status but but for females with ADHD I see it all the time that during these periods of vulnerability or hormonal vulnerability people really really struggle and and there's a lot at stake right Talking about, you know, uh, postpartum depression, you already have three kids and then you kind of go, just go down in the basement mood-wise and hormonally and, 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 and everyone's just like, well, everyone struggles. It's normal to feel stressed out if you have two small kids and you are, you know, lactating. It's, it's normal. And then that is kind of what you get. 
what we've seen, what I've seen in my research is that we we tend to to miss the girls and and then they end up as females getting an ADHD diagnosis eventually uh, if they get it and then they get abandoned again because you only get like okay so you, I got my diagnosis and I didn't get anything else like an explanatory model or anything and I get uh, I got a prescription and and I'm supposed to know so now what right so and and our slogan our mantra is is no girl left behind no woman abandoned Maybe that is what we're trying to to achieve. It's a grand, grand, grand mission, I know. But but it's that it feels like that is what's happening all the time. We miss the girls, and then when they struggle uh, enough and they scream high enough to get an assessment and a diagnosis, then they get the prescription, and then they get abandoned again. That is is that uh, right? Or told to lower your expectations, right? Just be grateful we don't, we're st- still not on the savannah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the app. The Letter Life app is, so is there, is there uh, like a communal biofeedback element to this app? Or is it really just a community of skills and strategies? Or it feels like it's an interactive experience, right? Yeah, it is. It is it's supposed to be an interactive experience. And, and, and basically what we're trying to do, we're trying to co-create and we build as we go. So we are a couple of, of researchers uh, trying to use our like, neuroscience background of and knowing about from from epidemiology okay so what do we know from from research that females struggle with how can we based on that knowledge together with females with ADHD how can we build a tool that solves this abandonment situation basically so what we're trying to do what we have done is that that you 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 track yourself on your kind of on your uh uh, different biological uh, phenotypes, so your hormones and how you're doing uh, in life, in everyday life. And then there's also this community where you can share your experiences with others. So, and and the the aim is to be less dependent on healthcare. And the aim is to fix the situation that we showed in our latest study we, we that was published last week, actually, is uh, called uh, Time After Time. And what we saw in that epidemiological study is that females get diagnosed four years later than boys uh, for extremely formative years uh, of their lives, where um, we actually have uh, the opportunity to become equals uh, with our male peers. Uh, so we have the opportunity to to get an education. We have the opportunity to, if we don't, you know, end up uh, with all the adverse uh, outcomes that is associated with female ADHD. So if we don't fall short of comorbidity, uh, if we don't fall short of sexual risk taking and end up uh, um, becoming teenage mothers, that we also in our research group showed last year that teenage girls and and adolescent women with ADHD have a six times increased risk of becoming teenage mothers. So these are formative years where we can base like the fundament and the family planning for a life that is equal um, and that is uh, socio-psychologically healthy. In a lot of in a lot of senses. So 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 what we are trying to do with letter life is that we are trying to 
to look instead of looking from a research perspective, we are looking from the female perspective. Okay, so what are females with ADHD struggling with? Uh, well, we're struggling with a situation where we call the seven deadly sins, the seven factors that is actually associated with uh, eight to 13 years decreased life expectancy in, in adult ADHD. So we are looking at what all people know that they have to do, but that is so much more difficult when you have ADHD. So getting routines for diet, for sleep, for exercise, for work-life balance and stress, for emotional regulation, addictive behaviors, and for life structure, like uh, meeting your doctor appointments or paying your bills and stuff like that. So we have tried to build an app where you track yourself on these seven death listens and see how your abilities and how you're doing fluctuates with your hormonal cycle or with if you have hormonal contraceptives or if you take other um, if you if you uh, have other uh, treatments, I can see how the, it is all tied together. And, and the aim, of course, is, again, knowledge is power, knowing how your life plays out and where your ADHD messes up things in your life makes you a much more skilled patient, if you want. Uh, if you, want. You, can, uh, you can give your healthcare professional a better data-driven decision um you know uh, form to to make decisions for your for your treatment or for uh psychosocial treatment or for for medical treatment as well so uh but it's it's a very exciting uh venture and, and it's a very also i would say lust driven project where we are we we set out not to build a tool for women with ADHD but with women with ADHD so it's a, it's a panel of, of lead patient users, patient organizations that is governing all the, the things that we do and everything that we put into the app is by recommendation on, on the, the experts, the females with ADHD. And this is an international audience, ideally? So, yes. So, so again, this warm appreciation of, of the book, that, that, that it feels like this ADHD women, it is an international language. So we, we, we decided to do it in, in English straight away. And also for our Danish friends, uh, because even though we're neighbors, we, uh, we hardly, us Swedes hardly understand what Danish people say. <laughs> they are better. They, they understand us much better. But we thought, why not do it in in English uh, and and see if 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 it is an international issue and 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 also it's we hope that this is also a we have a like a care view so you can sh you can share your your data yeah you can share that with the coach for example so the coach if you're a coach you can go in and and you can you will talk about the same things you will talk about you know the same issues and then you can see and you can follow up on what you do if that is, actually has any you know effect on the the most important things uh, in your life and 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 you set your own goals in into the app as well mm -hmm. um it reminds me of the i have a a timeline a graphic timeline of all of the various medical ailments uh and that i always bring it every time i go see a specialist for something new i bring this printout of this timeline that i've created and they always look at me like i'm crazy but it's it's amazing i mean to me i feel like the detective uh, with the, all of the red string on the wall trying to make all these connections and 
And that actually reminds me quickly, like the, you know, one of the things that is you talked about in the book, which I had never heard about before, was the fact that stimulant medication was originally stumbled upon as a treatment for headaches, which I feel like we, you know, we talk a lot about some of the nervous system comorbidities in terms of autoimmune disorders and migraines and I mean, and PCOS, like there's such a long list of, of comorbidities with ADHD. Is there a biological component to the headaches? Yes. Yes. And, and isn't it, isn't it nice that we are finally uh, almost or soon, I hope, giving all these women and men, uh, right, uh, at w- w- what they have expl- tried to explain to us that, you know, the brain and the body is actually connected somehow. But as I, I can feel as a doctor, I have um, spent too much time trying to explain to my patients why they are imagining things, right? <laughs> and, and now the research are, are, you know, they are giving uh, them right. And I was wrong because we don't know everything yet, but we know that there's something in this uh, from these small children that don't want to use socks because they feel that something is, you know, off to uh, adult women um, knowing that their migraines uh, are associated with their ADHD and their fibromyalgia is and their pain conditions, that there is something here going on. And, and I, I feel that the what they're actually telling us is that signals from their own body is equally uh, disturbing and distracting as a stimuli from the uh, external world, right? So it's like, well, this is how you, you don't, typically you don't uh, tell people, n- n- no, the light is not too, we used to do that, so no, the light is not too bright. No, the sound is not. No, it doesn't smell. We know now that people with uh, autism, for example, but also with ADD and ADHD, they have a different sensomotoric like uh, perception and i think that is the same thing that we have to acknowledge from the stimuli sent from our own body up to the brain it's like there's no filter there either so we are experiencing all this stuff in differently than neurotypical people and i think we're just beginning to scratch on that surface and i think you know the next couple of 10 20 years in research will be so exciting because i think we will explore so much of these overlaps and connection that our patients have tried to tell us about, and we just discharge it. Like, no, it's just in your head, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, it is probably also in, in, in our head, and it's probably relevant. It's probably for real. So I think we will have to uh, admit that we have been quite arrogant coming from the medical profession in many areas. Uh, and, I, and I look forward to it. I look forward to admitting that. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. I mean, I think that's why it's been my hyper-focus now for so many years, because it's so fascinating and it feels like it's changing so dramatically um, in such a short period of time. And just in terms of like my own understanding, but just in the general conversation about where it's going. And I feel like I've often said on this podcast that I think ADHD is like a gateway diagnosis (laughs) to so many other, uh, to, to neurodivergency as a whole, right? And kind of how we start to understand the brain and the and and the neural pathways and receptors and all the biological things. I don't know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's so fascinating to me. And also, hopefully, that we will look beyond the diagnosis uh, and look at the neuro, like neuropsychological processes instead. That's also something that we're building into the app. It's like 
we don't really care if you call it ADD, ADHD, autism, or we, we, call, we look at it from a neurodiversity perspective. And then we try to map out how the different brain processes actually can explain what you are experiencing. So then you can get your own brain map. And I think that's super important. For me, that's super important. So, so to know why certain things are so difficult for me. Okay, so I can put that in the in the area of my flawed filter function, or I can put it in, in the area of having not like my servo in my volume button <laughs> in my reward system. It's, it's like kind of, it's not off, but it, it certainly works differently than my husband's, for example. So, so, and it explains a lot of what um, I typically end up struggling with. So I think that's also the future for, for ADHD, ADD, looking at, okay, so how can we, understand the brain uh, and what do we know from brain science now that can explain a lot of the difficulties that people with ADHD struggle with and adding on the hormones on top of that uh, again uh, what do we know about the brain and the hormones that can explain how females explain why their PMS PMDD hits the roof um, during certain days of the month uh, and and so on so I think there are a lot of data out there um, that feels really soothing and also empowering to to know about because you have to build self-efficacy. This is not a disorder. This is not something that we can treat and, and get rid of. We will lean into this and we will live with it. And I think that's so important. Uh, and then you have to, but then you have to have like the, the manual to your brain. Uh, I think otherwise it's, it's very arrogant to, to expect for someone to lean in. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> Thank you so oh, much. As you hear, I can talk for hours. <laughs> I can. <laughs> uh, well, I, anyone, if you're listening and you go out and get ADHD Girls to Women getting on the radar, buy it in English now. And you can also listen to it. I listened to the audiobook. It's fantastic. I hope um, we will wait with bated breath for... The, you have one on neurodivergence in the workplace also, and then you have another book on on aging, right? Aging and ADHD and, and black belt in parenting and parenting. Exactly. So, so I tried to write a book about uh, like the entire lifespan. Uh, so, but uh, but this is this is the this is closest to my heart. It's like a candy, isn't it? It is, and like you said, the 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 patient what is it anecdotes are i think the best part right i mean it's it's really just there were so many times where i was moved to tears thinking about these stories of of so many experiences that so many of us had and the just feeling so defeated and um it just it felt really good to like you said put those put some of the connections together and i think it takes adhd researchers to be able to do that right <laughs> to be able to start connecting those dots yeah, I think we do it together. And I think we have a lot of, you know, when we join forces. So you're doing so much, you know, good by moving the needle with what you do and with the podcast and having people talk about it. And so so I think from a neuroscientist uh, perspective, I can just, you know, jump on the bandwagon and with, with all the great uh, advocates for female ADHD out there. And the U.S., of course, is... is um, you're always first. Really <laughs> <different>. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, I will definitely have a link to Letter Life. I guess at the moment, it's really getting on the wait list. That's what I'm on right now. 
Yeah, so we we don't want to uh, admit too many people uh, since we are building as we go, but but we we are trying to to admit more and more. So so and we have I think we have a thousand people actually um, active in Letter Life. Most are Swedish, so it would be awesome to get. I think you probably will get uh, ahead of the line if you if you register from the U.S. Oh, awesome! Well, okay. Well, I'll I'll wait for that uh, because one thing I don't have is patience. So. <laughs> But thank you so much for spending this time with me. And your research is so incredible. And I'm just thrilled to have discovered you. And, and so thank you. Likewise, likewise. It's, a, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And I could have talked the entire night uh, with you. <laughs> there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.